0: Welcome to the Barrel Horse Life Podcast, where we're going to talk all things horses, barrel racing, and life. This podcast features conversations from world champions, hustlers, and those who make the horse industry a better place. I am your host, Amy Davenport, and I'm so glad you came along for the ride. Let's get started. Doing everything possible to keep my horses sound and moving naturally without pain has been my key to success, and let me tell you how it's done. Draw It Out is an all-natural topical liniment that removes inflammation, heat, and soreness to keep our horses competing at the top of their game. It's completely safe, 100% natural, and really easy to use. Their deep penetrating formula is completely sensation free, so it goes on gently with no heating, no cooling, and no tingling effects. You guys, that means no burns and no blisters on our best friends. Draw It Out comes in a variety of ways. It comes in a concentrate that you mix with water, a topical gel, a topical CBD gel, which is my favorite. They also have products for dogs and humans. The Rejuve Gel is the real deal. It's great for the professional athlete or the professional grandparent. So head on over to LonePrairiePHS.com, that's LonePrairiePHS.com, and be sure to enter code Amy10 in the notes for your sweet discount. On today's show, I get the chance to chat with Dr. Jimmy Nichols. Dr. Jimmy, she's a professional equine nutritionist, with more knowledge than I can cram into this podcast. We cover basic equine nutrition, the importance of saliva, electrolytes, salt blocks, hay, alfalfa, byproducts, nutrition labels. I mean, there's so much crammed into this next hour that you're going to want to be sure to listen to this episode a few times. We have all had old myths that we just want to believe. I mean, why would grandpa lie to us? But science doesn't lie. And over the next 60 minutes, I hope you take away some great knowledge. So here we go with Dr. Jimmy Nichols. Dr. Nichols, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I have a giant list of questions, uh, actually about two pages worth. (laughs) So let's just jump right into it. Why don't you tell the listeners who you are and introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, so my name is Dr. Jimmy Nichols. I think sometimes people get confused on how to say my name. It's spelled J-Y-M-E. I get yeah, all, you, <laughs> yeah, I, I get all kinds of stuff. People try to say Jamie or Jaime or Jaime or <laughs> it's all over the board. So it's Jimmy like a boy is what I always tell people. Um, so yeah, I am the Director of Nutrition for Blue Bonnet Feeds and Stride Animal Health. Um, I actually just Picked past my nine-year anniversary with them, so the time is flying. Yeah, um, you know, I live in Western Oklahoma, and I basically spend my time. It's kind of split, so half of my time is spent um, kind of behind a computer where I am doing formulation and um, ration evaluations and um, supporting our nutrition. Our, we have a team of nutrition consultants. And so I, I spent a lot of time supporting them. And then I also, while I'm behind that computer, I try to create a lot of educational content around equine nutrition. Um, I think especially with the whole COVID crisis, um, you know, people spent a good portion of the year being locked in and not being able to go to shows. And I think there was just like this um, hunger for education and other things to do that were related to horses that you could kind of do from the comfort of your home. So I used that time to actually start a webinar series um, myself and then Dr. Bill Vandergrift actually did alternating. So we did um, 10 weeks in a row where we did um, we just switched off weeks and took a topic and basically did an hour-long webinar that was free um, for anybody to attend. Um, we actually have replays of those available, too, still if people want to go watch them. Um, and then I also spent that time um, starting my own podcast. So um, I, I try to do weekly episodes, um, my podcast is called The Feed Room Chemist, and so every week, of course, I have to, you know, set aside time that I um, come up with a topic, talk about it, try to really detail it, I try to pull in a lot of science and a lot of um, information from researchers into those podcasts, um, and just really make that an educational platform for people, so that's kind of what I do on my, quote, office days. And then the other part of my time is spent um, actually on the road. So I do um, a lot of seminars. I do a lot of um, on-farm consultations for larger operations that we work with, um, and then supporting the team of nutrition consultants that that is at Blue Bonnet Feeds and Stride Animal Health. Um, So they really are the boots on the ground every single day, and then they bring me in, you know, for certain situations and that's when I, I hit the road and I, I go hook up with them and, and we do whatever they need me to do.
0: Awesome. So how did you decide that equine nutrition was something that you wanted to dive into uh, with your education?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually, um, horses have always been a part of my life. So I grew up um, in the sandhills of Nebraska and I grew up on a cow-calf operation and we used horses um, on the ranch. So, um, you know, my, my mom and dad both rodeoed. Um, my dad was a saddle bronc rider. My mom was a barrel racer. Um, my dad ropes as well. And, you know, we always used the horses to, you know, gather cattle and for branding time, you know, we rope and drag to the fire for branding, just all that kind of normal ranch stuff. Um, so horses have always been a part of me. So when it came time for college, um, I also grew up rodeoing, so, um, For those of you who are familiar, (laughs) um, you know, I was a goat tire. That was my favorite event. Um, And then also breakaway roping was my other favorite event. Um, Yeah. So I actually went to college on a rodeo scholarship um, and I got done with college. And my um, so so my bachelor's degree was in equine science, Um, I think. And so I was in pre-vet for a little bit, and then, you know, I think everybody, I think every horse girl goes through this. Like, I want to be a vet. No, I want to be a trainer. And then you kind of get to the point in life where you have to figure out what you're really going to do, and it's like, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I want to be a vet because then I have to be on call all the time, and then I can't go do stuff with my horses all, you know. And then if you're a trainer, it's like, oh, man, it's, that's a long, hard Life, you know, and how, you know, am I going to be able to financially support myself? And so, all of those kind of things started going through my mind. And um, my major professor at the time had some grant money, and he needed a graduate student, and it was in the field of nutrition. And he he asked me if I would be willing to stay and get a master's degree. In equine nutrition and be his student for that particular project so I did Um, so I ended up getting my master's in um, equine nutrition at Montana State University Um, and it was there that I actually met another fellow graduate student who was doing beef nutrition and um, ended up marrying him and he brought me back to Oklahoma or brought me to Oklahoma he actually went to work for the Noble Foundation, um, or, well, I guess now it's called the Noble Research Institute in Ardmore. And um, lo and behold, there happened to be an equine feed mill in Ardmore, Oklahoma, called Blue Bonnet Feeds. And long story short, I tried really hard to get a job with them and failed at first. Um, and so I ended up taking a position with a, a far, you know, in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, for about a year and a half and then i kind of kept working at towards the blue bonnet bees thing and finally finally got someone to talk to me and listen to me and um, got my foot in the door and ended up getting a job with them um, and then blue bonnet was gracious enough to um, send me back to get my phd so um, i've got i got my phd from oklahoma state university and um, yeah, I just I basically worked my way up through the company. I started in the field as specifically an, an equine specialist, where all I did was um, go to farms. I was on the road every day, um, just looking at horses, visiting with people. Um, and then I moved into a role where I was kind of like a, a junior nutritionist um, and was in the mill and worked almost exclusively on quality control and formulation. And then um, was then moved into the Director of Nutrition after that. So I kind of went through all three of those rungs to get to where I am now.
0: You know what I like? I like getting compliments on my horses. And of course, I'm kind of partial to my own. But when it comes to my horse's health, you can really tell how healthy they are on the inside by how great they look on the outside. And trying to understand all of these supplement labels, man, they're about as clear as mud. But once I did my own research and some comparing, I decided to settle in on a company called Stride Animal Health. When I first emailed them and got some information, I learned that I needed to start my horses off with their 21-day hindgut program. I could not believe how much better their attitudes were when they started feeling better. After that, Dr. Jamie got us hooked up with a simple supplement program to help each one of my horses for their specific problems. So both my horses are on the Lifeline Plus, which is their plasma supplement helps support healthy joints, immune systems, healthy gut, lungs, a slew of things. My middle-aged mildly arthritic mare is on Rewind, which helps keep down her old lady inflammation. And I also love to give both of my horses the Turbo Mag, which is their electrolyte supplement. That really helps keep them hydrated during the hot and humid months, especially when we're hauling. So head on over to strideanimalhealth.com and check out all they have to offer. Use my special code BHL20, that's Barrel Horse Life 20, for your sweet discount. Don't wait, offer expires January 31st, 2021. So again, that's strideanimalhealth.com, code BHL20 before January 31st, y'all. I feel like I could dive into some really deep rabbit holes with about a hundred different topics with you, um which might I add you set straight several old myths that I had believed my whole life um just by listening to some of your podcasts, so thank you for that, but let's dive right into some uh just some basic topics. Let's chat about what's important when learning about a horse's nutrition
1: yeah, so um horses are very different from other what we call farm animals, right so I think a lot of times um, people will, I see people trying to feed a horse like a cow and the digestive system of a horse is like completely backwards of that of a cow. Um, So what we do, you know, from a feeding standpoint is there are are some similarities, but there are a lot of differences. Um, In fact, you know, the, the horse's digestive system, the animal that it's probably the closest to is actually a rabbit.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Um, it's also really similar to pigs. So horses are what we call monogastric. So it means that they basically just have one stomach. So you go to the stomach first, and then you go to the small intestine. Um, so in that category are, you know, horses, rabbits, pigs, um, poultry. Um, and so in, in the equine nutrition world, a lot of times we have to rely on research from other monog- monogastric species. So I look a lot at swine research, so pigs. Um, I look at a lot of poultry data um, and then also human data. Um, So humans are monogastrics as well. And so, you know, when you're – so most nutritionists out there, so most, say, you know, Ph.D. nutritionists out there, most of them have gotten their degree in ruminant nutrition, okay? So that would be, um, you know, cattle, sheep, goats, you know, deer or ruminants. Um, and so a lot of times I see um, nutritionists that have their schooling in, in the ruminant side formulating horse diets, but n- not um, maybe taking into account the nuances of a horse. And so that's, that's one thing that's really big for me is, is really paying attention to the things that are specific to horses. So, you know, the quality of the ingredients that go into this the diet is paramount. Um, so let's take, for instance, amino acids or protein. Um, so if you're in ruminant nutrition, all you really care about is crude protein because all you need is that nitrogen content. Well, so let me back up a second. So crude protein is just a mathematical equation. It's just nitrogen times 6.25, okay? It's not really like a real thing, if you will. Yeah. Um, So in ruminants, so like in a cow, that's all you need is you just need nitrogen. Like you can literally feed urea to a cow, which is like a ton of nitrogen. And the rumen, all of those microbes in the rumen will actually take that nitrogen and synthesize or create the amino acids that the cow needs. Well, a horse does not work like that. So a horse needs those amino acids actually in the diet that you feed them because it goes straight to the small intestine. Um, there's no, you know, microbes or synthesis that happens in in the stomach, right? So the stomach's just gastric acid. All it's doing is starting that breakdown. So with equine nutrition, you have to make sure that what that you're feeding amino acids, not just a random crude protein content. So that's that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions that I see um, in the equine world is people trying to decide on what feed they're feeding just by looking at the crude protein content and I tell them, like, crude protein content doesn't matter to a horse. You need to look at what that lysine content and what that amino acid profile is.
0: And I know in the horse industry, so many people tend to look at the feed tag and want to break down um, the crude protein levels and percentages and what it all means. But it's really hard to do that when comparing different feeds. So please elaborate. And when looking at a feed tag, what are some important things to look at when choosing the right kind of feed for your horse?
1: Yeah. Good question. So the first thing that I look at is the lysine content. So lysine is what we call the first limiting amino acid. And basically what that means is if there's not enough lysine in the diet, then it's not possible for the the diet to meet the needs of any of the other essential amino acids. So, you know, it's kind of like, um, the, the most common, um, example of this is like if you have you know those old wooden barrels with the slats that you know mm-hmm. go up and they're supposed to hold water so if you think of each of those slats as being an amino acid if you have enough of all of the amino acids you can hold a full barrel of water but let's take one of those slats and let's say that you cut that slat off at like five inches from the ground well that barrel can only hold up to five inches of water then so that's kind of like lysine if you don't have enough lysine in the diet to to make that flat go all the way up to the barrel, you, you're not going to be able to fill that barrel full of water. So that's, that's kind of how amino acids work, and each one is required in different amounts and different ratios to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so lysine is the big one I look at. The next place I go to look at the quality of the feed is the ingredients list. Um, so there's, there's two different ways to um, label seeds. You can use either um, – what is called open terminology or true name labeling, where you actually list the ingredients by their name. So, you know, you might see alfalfa meal, soybean meal, oats, corn, whatever, you know, whatever the ingredient is, it's actually listed by its name. The other way to list ingredients is called collective terminology. And so if, you, if you're looking at a tag that uses collective terminology, the ingredients will start with things like grain byproducts, um, processed grain byproducts, Um, molasses products, roughage products. You'll see products um, as as the term for those ingredients. So there's a governing association called ASCO, the American Association of Feed Control Officials. And they basically give us a list of ingredients that qualify for each of those names. So let's take grain products, for example. Under grain products, if you see that on your feed tag, that could be any amount or any combination of um, like corn, milo, oats, barley, wheat, um, you know, there's a list of them. And the feed manufacturer basically, as long as they're using at least one of those things, then they put the term grain products on there. Um, What that allows them to do then is basically take advantage of um, low commodity market pricing, and they can change those ingredients out, you know, anytime they need to. So, let's say um, corn is really cheap, then they'll reformulate their feed so that there's more corn in that, but they don't have to change their tag because they use the term grain products. Well, let's say corn prices go through the roof and now they can get Milo or oats for a lot cheaper. Well, their nutritionists will do a reformulation and they'll just take the corn down and then they'll put way more of the cheaper um, ingredients that they can get into it. And as long as they're still under that grain product classification, they don't have to change anything on their tag. Um, so my, my personal stance, um, I so, I mean, we know as horse owners how incredibly sensitive that horse's adjust system is. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like the first thing when you buy a horse from somebody or when you sell a horse, I mean, good people send a bale of the exact same hay that they've been on. They send a bag of feed, you know, because we know that horses need time to transition and we, I mean, colic is a real thing and we don't want that. no. <laughs> Um, and then, but then if you go deeper and you actually look at the research, so, I mean, that's the real world, what we know, but then if you go look at the research, what we understand now is that the horses, the microbes in the horse's hindgut actually tailor themselves to the diet. So if you are constantly changing the ingredients in your feed, you're changing the diet and those microbes are having to constantly reshift and rebalance those populations in order to, to stay regular and stay healthy. And so it's those little things that, Let's say you get more starch in a particular batch than is than the horses used to. Well, those microbes have to adjust, and that can actually cause extra gas production. So it's those little things that can kind of lead to that, you know, like the mild gas colic episodes that horses sometimes get, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, just all of those little things that, you know, we can't ever seem to pinpoint down, you know, why they get I mean, there's a bajillion reasons why horses colic, and everybody always wants to blame feed, um, and it's not always feed. But, you know, if you're not – on a really consistent, um, what I, call, I like to call walked formula type of feed, then yeah, feed is a wild card for why your horse might have called it.
0: And that's something that I had no clue. I feel like it's a little bit of like a Chinese-Japanese language to me, but the more and more that I'm reading and listening to your podcast and understanding what it's about and what byproducts are and how a lot of feed companies incorporate in that into their grains, that affects so many horses. And I know a couple of years ago when I had first contacted you to straighten out my horse's nutrition, she'd been having tummy aches. She was nervous nelly on the road all the time. Um, We were starting to have a few gait issues and we trickled back to it's the byproducts that are in the feed. So every time I would go to the feed store, I'd buy, you know, seven, eight bags of feed. And after a month or two, I'd go back, back to buy some more. And then that was a different batch. And so the byproducts were a little bit different. And that was, that was, was hurting her stomach. So I felt like a terrible horse mom because <laughs> it was giving me a stomachache too. But if you don't know, you just don't know. So I'm glad that we can ex- that you can explain this um, on the podcast to people um, because nobody wants to have a horse with a hurt tummy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, or you know, you you get different bags that that actually look like they're different colors sometimes, or they have different smells or different palatability. And, you know, your horse just quits eating and people are like, why did my horse quit eating? And I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, when you go through a drive through and you order, like, let's say you order a Pepsi. And when you go to take a drink, it's unsweet tea and you don't realize it. <laughs> it's like that instant shock. So I mean, when, when companies are changing those ingredients, I mean, horses are really sensitive to taste. And so that, that can that can sometimes be why a horse all of a sudden just goes off a of feed. So the thing that I tell people is, you know, ask the manufacturer, do they have, well, you can see whether they have an open label just by looking at their ingredients list. Um, But then ask them, you know, if they go that step farther and actually lock their formula. And that's what actually gives us that that true, like most consistent diet. It's a locked formula is more like a recipe, right? It's going to be the exact same thing every single time. So, you know, Blue Bonnet Feeds does that, um, Triple Crown does that, you know, there, there are some companies out there that, that have that policy, um, but there are a lot of feed companies out there that don't. So it's kind of on the purchaser to, to do your homework and know what you're getting.
0: Okay, so something I want to dive into is the importance of your horse's saliva. During one of the episodes of your podcast, um, you were talking about feeding your horse on the ground versus feeding them up high. And by feeding them on the ground, it helps them, makes them chew more because it produces more saliva and it'll break down their grains in the hay quicker. So I was, my mind was completely blown by this. And so now I feed all my horses on the ground. <laughs> so I want you to go in and elaborate a little bit more and tell the listeners about the importance of a horse's saliva.
1: Yeah. So saliva is actually um, the horse's natural buffer to stomach acid. And so I think a lot of people are pretty well versed in the fact that ulcers are a real thing. They're a problem. You know, I think the, the statistics say that um, in race horses, 99% of horses, race horses have gastric ulcers. Mm-hmm. And then in performance horses, I think it's like 90%, between 60 to 90, depending on the studies that you look at. Um, but basically, that's because um, confining a horse to a stall, performing on a horse, traveling with a horse and feeding a horse a high starch diet. Those are all four things that can contribute to ulcers. And so performance horses pretty much get hit with all four of those things, or at least a few of them. (laughs) One-on-one, yes. So um, ulcers are a pretty prominent thing, and so I think there are a lot of people out there who are looking for, you know, ways to prevent. And something that people overlook is just the simple act of making sure that your horse is is producing saliva continuously because that saliva is the horse's natural mechanism for buffering. Now, here's the trick. Horses only salivate or produce saliva when they are, when they have something in their mouth and when they're chewing. Okay, so it's like mechanical stimulation. Basically, if you let a horse go, and I'd have to go back and look at, at the studies, uh, but I think if I think if you let a horse go with nothing in their stomach, so nothing to eat, I think that it's at two hours where you start to see that very significant pH drop and I I gave those numbers more specifically in in my in the Feed room chemist episode that I did on that so I'm okay don't I'm, I'm not going to try to lie to anybody here <laughs> but I mean it, it's a very short time that if when a horse is on an empty stomach the pH or on an empty yeah on an empty stomach the pH in their stomach drops radically and the other thing that people forget is when there's nothing in a horse's stomach and then we go get on them and go ride them or run them, there's nothing to kind of, there's, the, the gastric acid is like water. It's liquid, right? So if there's nothing to kind of hold it together as a slurry, if it's more liquidy like water, it can just splash up onto the upper portion of the stomach, and that's where you get those squamous, that's the squamous mucosa there, and that's where you can get the, the ulcers that we typically talk about when we're talking about gastric ulcers. So, you know, one of the other things that I tell people to do is feed, make sure that you aren't riding your horse on an empty stomach. So even if that's feeding them a pound of alfalfa pellets while you're tacking up or brushing or whatever, um, just make sure that you're not riding and running on an empty stomach. Um, I, we've actually got, it's, it's not formally launched yet, but um, Dr. Vandergrift and I have actually developed a product called GastroFix. Um, and the fix is spelled with a P-H, so it's P-H-I-X. I really like that. Our Yeah, Dana on our creative team came up with that. I thought yeah. that was pretty crafty. <laughs> but um, we've actually put together a product that people can do that exact thing, that thing with. So they can feed a pound of that while they're tacking up, and it's got um, a natural buffer in it that's from a, a seaweed source. So you get that buffering capacity and then it's got some really cool technologies in it like um, slippery elm and licorice that will actually go in and kind of help soothe the stomach and can actually provide a little bit of um, relief for horses that have really irritated um, digestive linings, especially like small intestinal, you know, or like duodenal ulcers that happens in that front part of the small intestine um, and then glandular ulcers in the stomach. So a lot of benefit for those different areas that other products on the market aren't exactly, um, addressing. So that, that product is actually available right now to buy, but we aren't formally launching it until the first of the year.
0: That is wonderful to know. Um, I'm definitely going to reach out and get myself some of that. So for me and for my horses, (laughs) both. So I feel like when everybody wants to talk about ulcers, it is like talking politics. Everybody has their beliefs and they want you to believe that what they believe is true and right, and they'll try to change your opinion. And I feel like it is a very dangerous rabbit hole to go down, but we're gonna go so I would like you to explain what an ulcer is, what when, where, why, and how ulcers work and go so you just elaborate and go on that,
1: yeah so when you when horse people use the word ulcer um so here are all here are all of the things that I hear people talk about ulcers they say. My horse has ulcers. My horse has stomach ulcers. My horse has hindgut ulcers. My horse has colonic ulcers. My horse, You know, so there are all of these things where people are trying to say specifically that their horse has ulcers in these specific areas. Well, the reality is there is only one type of ulcer that we can definitively diagnose in a horse, and that is a gastric ulcer. So that is an ulcer in the stomach. Now, it gets even more complex. Okay, so the stomach has two different areas. So you can have squamous ulcers, which happen in the top half. You can have glandular ulcers, which happen in the bottom half. Okay, and so when you go to diagnose an ulcer, your vet will actually put a scope, an endoscope, down the horse's nose or through the horse's nose and down the esophagus and actually put a camera directly into the stomach and then they'll look around. And so they're basically looking at the squamous or the upper portion of that um, horse's stomach. And that's where we can truly get pictures of and diagnose that a horse has ulcers. Okay, outside of that, all of the other things that people say my horse has ulcers about, that is um, theoretical, okay? So there's no way to scope for, you you can't scope the hindgut, right? So you cannot, and this sounds a little bit weird, terrible, morbid, I don't know, but you can't put a scope in the back end of a horse and scope up the colon, right? You can't get to the cecum. You can't get to the small intestine. So there's no way to definitively see and know that there are actual ulcerations of that tissue. Now. When I talk about issues with the hindgut, what, what I typically am talking about is dysbiosis, okay? So dysbiosis is the imbalance of the microbes within the hindgut. And a lot of the signs that horses give outwardly that people classify as, oh, my horse has hindgut ulcers, that's what they'll say. That's not an accurate way of saying it. What they should be saying is, my horse probably, my horse has hindgut dysbiosis, Okay, um, and, and basically, so if the, if the gut is, if the hindgut, if the microbial populations are out of balance, that can cause a horse to be irritable, can cause them to be cinchy, it can cause them to be stiff going one direction versus the other. Um, it can cause them to, to just be completely noncompliant. So horses that maybe are really normally naturally soft and supple and round and responsive, all of a sudden just are like, oh, heck no, we're not doing that. Um, a lot of times that can be due to pain that's happening in the cecum or in the, the large intestine. And a lot of that pain um, is, is, happens in conjunction with those microbes being out of balance. Now, in addition, there can be inflammation of that intestinal tissue. Okay? And so, anytime intestinal tissue becomes inflamed, right, you're going to get pain. And again, all of those same signs and symptoms that I described before can happen with intestinal inflammation. Now, the trick there is um, your vet can do an ultrasound and look for thickening of the intestinal lining, but by the time it gets um, thick enough that they can. Like visually, like noticeably see that on the ultrasound, and know that like you are way, way, way deep into the problem. Um, you know, so it, again, understanding those early signs and then prevention to keep um, those cells and those tissues functioning properly. And then there's this whole third area, um, which is the small intestine, and you can get ulcers in the first section of the small intestine. So basically where the stomach and the small intestine meet, okay, so we call them duodenal or duodenal. I hear people pronounce it both ways, but it's it's that first section of the small intestine. And you can get ulcers there, and those are incredibly painful and also very difficult to um, treat and, and difficult to get around. Um, the other thing that can happen in the small intestine is you can get um, what we call leaky gut. And that is where the cells themselves that line the intestine start to separate. Okay. So when, when those cells separate, you then can, you know, there's all kinds of things that can be introduced into the body. Um, bacteria, pathogens, um, undigested nutrients. Um, the body then basically overreacts. And when the body overreacts, the immune system is stimulated. And guess what? Inflammation happens. And, Again, inflammation is typically um, pain accompanies inflammation most of the time. Mm-hmm. So there are just so many different areas within the horse's digestive tract where something can go wrong. And the general all encompassing word that people use is, oh, my horse has ulcers. <laughs> but again, it just is not that simple. Are they stomach ulcers? And if they are, are they squamous or are they glandular? Are they duodenal ulcers? Are they, you know, Do you have hindgut dysbiosis? Do you you have thickening of the intestinal lining? Do you have leaky gut? You know, there are just, there are so many different things um, that a horse can deal with digestively. And each of those things takes a very different way. There's a different approach to managing, preventing or treating each of those things. And so that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I see is people, people see the signs of ulcers and they just choose one thing and they do that and they say oh that didn't help and then they're kind of stuck and they're lost because they perceive that ulcers is just one thing that has one treatment and they just they try it and it either works or doesn't then they go on
0: all right real quick let's give an example um let's say somebody listening to this is hearing a lot of red flags and they're thinking man this could be my horse what is step number one what is something that they should do um to get their horse some help yeah, so kind of step
1: one that, that I generally will tell people to do is um, use omeprazole. So omeprazole is a drug. It's a proton pump inhibitor, which means it basically shuts off the acid production in the stomach. And so if a horse is dealing with um, stomach with gastric ulcers, a lot of times putting that horse on omeprazole will immediate, almost immediately resolve some of those um, symptoms and signs. And so if that happens, then, okay, that's a pretty good clue that, yeah, your horse was probably dealing with stomach ulcers. So just go through that treatment with l If you do that and you don't notice any improvements, um, I, the first place that I like to start is to them through um, a hindgut program. Okay? so and, I'll, and actually, a lot of times I'll do those two things in conjunction, especially if I've got a horse where, you know, time is critical and we need to just get this horse straightened back out like yesterday then I'll put I'll have someone do omeprazole and the hindgut health program from Stride Animal Health and that hindgut health program the reason I choose it is because it has got um, components in it that that take care of the hindgut dysbiosis and also take care of that intestinal inflammation so it's kind of doing a plus the hindgut program is like that really quick you know less let's attack those three most common components all at once right away and see if we get improvement. And I would say that honestly, probably 80%, maybe even 85% of horses with that alone, um, we can turn around easily. Now, if they don't respond well to that, then that tells me that we're probably dealing with leaky gut or something in the small intestine. And then it gets a little bit more tricky. (laughs) So, in, if, if we're dealing with, say, glandular ulcers or if we're dealing with um, ulcers in in the front part of the small intestine, you're typically going to need to get some kind of a glandular ulcer protocol from your vet, which, um, you know, a lot of times might consist of, so they might do like sucrophate, mesoprosol, and omeprazole, it might be a combo of those three drugs. Um, And then I typically will go ahead and put those horses on a product called GI Calm, which is um, specifically designed for leaky gut and trying to help close those tight junctions and help um, improve the health of that intestinal lining. And then um, I also will put those horses on this new GastroFix product um, to help with that buffering and then help with that soothing and, and kind of relieving capability.
0: Again, that's a lot of information, but I'm glad that you can clear that up. Ulcers is such a gray area, um, and it's not a lot of knowledge that I have ever gained. So thank you for that information. That was wonderful. Okay, um, let's just go ahead and jump right into the next portion of the podcast. This is what I like to call the myth area. So these could be questions that I have heard my whole life. Um, All of us have been taught when we were young. So I want you to answer true or false, and we're going to kind of debunk some of these things. So all right, here we go. Question number one, oats give my horses energy. Well, that is true. They, they do.
1: They give them two kinds of energy. Um, they give them calorie energy. So when you're, when you're a nutritionist, um, you talk about energy meaning calories. When you are a horse person, you talk about energy as excitability. And um, oats actually does both. So oats has a lot of calories in it. Oats also has a lot of starch in it, which means that it can make that horse um, really excitable or um, hyper or energetic or crazy-headed or hot-headed, you know, however you want to call it. But so, yeah, oats can do both. (laughs)
0: All right, cool. Question number two, salt blocks are not necessary in a horse's diet. Kind of false. So salt is 100%
1: necessary in the horse's diet. If you put um, loose salt into your feed, that's completely fine. If you're not putting loose salt into your feed or if if an adequate amount of salt is not built into your feed, then yes, you should definitely be offering salt blocks to your
0: horse. And I'm going to assume that you're going to say that not all salt blocks are created equal, right? They are not. I recommend that people just go get the plain white salt
1: blocks. Um, Now, if you want, I mean, there's like, there's, There's a ton of other options out there. I mean, there's like the pink Himalayan salt and things like that. You can get that. That's fine. It's not, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, the, the amount of trace minerals that are in those are absolutely negligible. I mean, they're not, they're not making enough impact in the diet to provide enough difference in the cost, I guess, between just a plain white salt block.
0: All right. Next question. Alfalfa is healthier for my horse than hay. So, um, you know, alfalfa,
1: alfalfa is, it, it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish, okay? So if I've got a maintenance horse, when I say maintenance, that means a horse that's doing very little work, right? Maybe not getting ridden at all, like spends the majority of his time, you know, in the pasture, whatever, not getting ridden. Okay, that horse doesn't need alfalfa, right? It's just, it's its too nutrient-dense for them. That horse will do better Again, because if you can keep, allow a horse to eat continuously throughout the day, that, that maintenance horse doesn't have very high requirements. And so if you let him eat alfalfa all day long, you're going to way, way, way oversupply his nutrition. So you're going to make him fat, and you're going to be providing way more calories or way more energy than he needs, so that horse might get kind of crazy. Um, so in that horse, I would put that horse on just a, a decent quality grass hay. Well, if I have got a high level, like let's say I've got a hard-keeping horse that is being ridden every day and going to shows every single weekend, okay, that horse I'm probably going to put a lot more alfalfa into the diet because that horse needs the extra calories, the extra, you know, all of that extra nutrition that alfalfa provides. Um, Senior horses, okay, so as a senior horse ages, their ability to digest protein dramatically drops. So alfalfa is really high in protein. So I like to add alfalfa into the senior horse diet because you get better quality protein or more absorbable protein um, out of alfalfa than you do out of grass hay. So mm-hmm. there's it. It just it all really depends on the situation. I'm a huge fan of alfalfa in the right situation, um, but it gets misused <laughs> um, a lot. <laughs> a lot, yeah, a lot. <laughs> um, piece of it is just. Uh, you know, your access to it. Like, there are certain parts of the country where that's all you have is alfalfa. And so it's unrealistic to try to uh, feed horses grassy because they can't source it. Like, you know, take Scottsdale, Arizona, for example. When you walk onto any horse operation in, in Scottsdale, and it's like, I mean, that's all they feed is alfalfa because that's pretty much all they have access to. Um, so, you know, you have to take that kind of stuff into consideration. But perfect world, you know, there are certain places where I would use it and certain places that I
0: wouldn't. Oh yeah, that that makes sense. So, what is something that we should be looking for when choosing a good quality hay?
1: Yeah, great question.
0: Um, get a hay analysis done.
1: Okay, so mm-hmm. people people think that they can tell the quality of the hay by looking at the hay, and that is completely false. Okay, I have seen some beautiful looking hay test terrible, and I have seen some terrible looking hay test wonderfully. Okay, so there now there are a few things obviously from a visual. Aspect, you know, make sure that there's not mold in it. Make sure that if you flake a a flake off, that there's not dust particles and mold particles floating up into the air. Um, Make sure there's not trash in it. Make sure that you know. um, Make sure that the stems that you can easily squeeze them in your hand that they're soft and pliable. Um, You know, so basically, the stiffer that the stems get, the more indigestible that hay is. Okay, so there's this this thing called lignin. That plants accumulate as they age Um, it's kind of like it's like what makes trees strong right it's kind of like the bark in trees Um, you know the more lignin that there is the stronger that the tree is going to be well grasses and alfalfas have lignin as well and so as they mature they accumulate more lignin to give them the ability to stand up taller as that grass grows bigger well that lignin is not digestible to the horse so it just serves as bulk factor basically and so if you're feeding a hay, and this happens a lot with grass hays, if you're feeding a hay that was harvested at a really mature state, it's going to have a lot of lignin in it, which means it's going to have a lot of bulk, which can contribute to that hay belly look in horses.
0: Yeah. Um, and that would be where the term stemmy comes from. And when someone says, hey, that hay looks really stemmy, correct? Exactly. Exactly. And, and then
1: those horses are also not going to be getting very much nutrition in the volume that they are eating. So then they'll start to lose top line. T- they'll start looking saggy and old and they just, they just are not going to look good. And a lot of that you can relate back to that grass hay being, um, not good enough quality.
0: Yep. And then that's when these young Betty Bale racing young girls will get on social media, Facebook or Instagram, and they'll make a post saying, I'm looking for recommendations for a good supplement to increase my horse's top line. You don't know how many times I've wanted to comment, go back to your hay, <laughs> get your hay analyzed. And then you can supplement off of what your hay analyzation is. Is analyzation a word? <laughs> I don't know. It is now. But anyways, it makes so much more sense to do that because I know I've read certain supplements that says, help increase your horse's top line. Oh, and it's so frustrating. So yeah, preach on, girl. Yep. If you would just go back and make sure that
1: you're feeding a good quality forage first, so many of those problems can will take care of themselves.
0: Right. So can you explain to the listeners, how does somebody go about getting a hay analysis? Yep. So I always send all of
1: mine to a company called Equa Analytical. Um, And so you can find them online. It's equa, like E-Q-U-I dash
0: analytical.com.
1: The reason I go to them is because they report the numbers in horse values, not cattle values. So, you know, the mathematical equations that you get for, you know digestible energy and and different things for a horse that we need for horse nutrition um, if you send it to a cattle lab they're not going to give you those numbers so that's why I go to equity analytical when you when you sample so when do you sample my uh, my recommendation is that when you buy hay try to buy at least three or four months supply of it if you can and then and then you've at least got enough to make it worth sending that sample off um, You know, it generally takes 10 to 14 days to get the results back. So it would make no sense for you to sample, you know, if you only bought 10 bales of hay and you're going to be done with it in a week, there'd be no reason to sample that because it's going to be irrelevant by the time you get the results back. So buy in large quantities if you can. Um, When you sample, you want to make sure that you take hay from the middle of the bales and you want to take samples from at least 10 different bales. So we do, I tell people to do what I call grab samples. So that means basically close your eyes, pop open a bale, grab a middle flake, and just take your hand and whatever you can grab out of a handful, grab it and put it in a gallon Ziploc bag and do that 10 times with 10 different bales from varying places. So now if you happen to be working with one of our consultants, um, we all have hay probes. And so we actually will drill a hole through the center of the bale Um, to get a sample. But I understand that, you know, not everybody has a hay probe. So doing a grab sample is fine. Just, you know, fill up that gallon Ziploc bag with it. um, And don't cherry pick out of your hay bales. So that's one thing is, you know, like, especially with alfalfa, it's like, oh, I'm just going to grab all of the leafy material and leave the stems behind. Well, that's not reflective of what your hay quality is. So you need to make sure that you're getting a very representative sample of what that total bale is.
0: And let me add that it is super cheap to get it done. When I first got online and started going through the process to print out the paper and all that, it was super simple and it is not expensive, folks. Let me tell you, just do it. You'll be better off. Yeah. No, I think it is. I mean, it's less than 30
1: bucks. I think it might might be like $28 to get the full profile on hay.
0: Yeah, I believe you're right. It wasn't expensive at all. It was less than 30 bucks. And um, I need to do it again because we got a new batch of hay and just haven't done it yet. And I think that may or may not affect the supplements that I'm feeding currently, along with the the alfalfa pellets that my horses are on. So, okay, well, I have a question. So when would alfalfa be a good choice versus just grass hay? Yeah, so um, alfalfa, I will almost
1: always recommend alfalfa for pregnant and lactating mares. I almost always recommend that a little alfalfa be incorporated into growing horses' diets um, just because their nutrient requirements are so high that, and they're so little that they can't take in the volume that we want them to, especially if we're also giving them grain. So you need to make sure that the hay that you're feeding them is super nutrient-dense. And so alfalfa is a really way to, a good way to accomplish that. Um, and then I also like alfalfa on hard keepers. Um, it just it it, it really helps um, again because it's so nutrient dense. It it provides a really good amino acid profile. It provides a really good um, amount of protein, uh, good energy or calories, if you will. Um, you know, there's kind of a myth out there that you know alfalfa makes my horse hot. Well, it's probably not the alfalfa that's making your horse hot. It's the fact that you're over feeding calories, okay, or over feeding that you know, energy calories. Um, so, you know, if you're in that situation, go to grass hay or cut the amount of alfalfa, maybe go to a 50-50, you know, feed, half, feed a flake of grass hay and a flake of alfalfa flay.
0: Uh, got to mix it up cause they will pick it
1: up. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got a mare right now that I mean, I, so I do a flake of alfalfa and a flake of grass, and I, I put them, and she goes straight to that alfalfa, and she cleans up every single flake of that alfalfa before she will even touch that <laughs> <the> grass. <laughs> so I trick her too. I mix it up. I break it and I mix it up. When my husband feeds, he doesn't. He was like, ah, she gets, she can do whatever she wants. <laughs>
0: Yes. I feel like that's when a husband does chores versus when a wife does chores. I think we could all relate to that. hundred percent. All right. Uh, let's jump right into the listener questions I put out on social media a few days ago that I was going to be having you on the podcast. Um, there was a ton of really, really good questions and it was really hard for me to pick just a few of them. I tried to incorporate some of the other questions just into the flow of the conversation. Um, so let's start out with listener question. Number one, what should I look for when choosing a grain for my barrel racing horse?
1: Yeah, so um, number one, like I talked about earlier, check out that lysine content and look at your ingredient list. Um, Those are probably the two most important things. But then the next is understanding what your horse needs or what you need. Do you want to feed large volumes or do you want to feed small volumes? Okay, so I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they don't look at the feeding directions for a feed and they just try to feed everything the same. Like oh I always feed one scoop morning one scoop night and so they'll try all of these different feeds and they'll feed them all exactly the same not realizing that some feeds are formulated to be fed at half of that rate. Um, so you know I one of one of my favorite feeds um, for barrel horses is one called Intensify Omega Force um, and it is a low feeding rate feed so it's really nutrient dense it's really concentrated. Um, it's a high fat, cool energy type of feed. So, you know, barrel horses, as we know, are already bred to be, you know, racy and runny and hot. And so Mm -hmm. I steer away from things like oats and corn and all of those really starchy ingredients. And I try to lean more towards your cool calories and, and your uh, lower starch, lower NSD type of feed. So I like Omega Force because it is that nutrient dense. So You know, all of those horses' nutrients are going to be supplied in just four pounds a day. So to put that in perspective, um, like the square plastic three-quart scoops that are at the feed stores, one of those completely full is four pounds of Omega Force. So, I mean, you literally, with half a scoop morning, half a scoop at night, can satisfy that horse's entire nutrient, you know, vitamin, mineral, amino acid, you know, everything, and then let that horse eat as much hay as they can, And that combination, um, we've had a ton of success with keeping those horses healthy, keeping their digestive systems happy, and then also just getting that good outward appearance. Um, And Omega Force can be fed up to 8 pounds a day, but um, you definitely don't want to go over that. So, you know, again, back to the whole looking at your feeding recommendations, I, I see some people who are used to feeding like 12 pounds a day of grain, which is a lot of feed. And they'll try to do that with Omega Force. And then their horse, they'll, they'll call and they'll say, my horse isn't eating all of its feet. Like, well, that's because, like, you are way over supply. If you're almost 3X supplying the nutrition, <laughs> than what the <laughs> horse needs. So, I mean, like, they just physically don't want to eat any more of it, right? Um, now, on the flip side, you've got some horses or some people who maybe um, don't have access to good quality hay. Okay. And so they do have to feed those larger volumes of grain because they need to know that the bulk of, of the diet is coming from a quality source. And so for those type of horses, I would lean on a higher feeding rate type of feed. So I would go with something like the intensified total advantage. So it's an alfalfa based feed. It's a really high fiber content. You can safely feed eight, 10, 12 pounds of, of that a day. Um, and, and, and not have any problems with it. And that allows you a lot more um, flexibility on the quality of hay. So I mean, if you can only get mediocre quality grass hay and you can't you know, just offer it free choice all of the time, I mean, if you're limited in some way, then you know, a higher feeding rate grain is, is a better way to go. Um, and then the other, for barrel horses, the other feed that I've had a ton of success with um, is one that actually just launched earlier this year it's called Equiline Pro Care, and that is a beet pulp based feed. So, if you've got a really picky eater, um, I have not run into a horse yet that refuses that feed. Um, and the feed is it was designed to really specifically address the hindgut dysbiosis and the leaky gut problems that a horse has and the gastric buffering component. So, it's, it's to my knowledge the first feed on the market to truly include ingredients that address all three of those areas. Um, so a lot of these address either just the stomach by having a, a say, seaweed-derived calcium buffer in it, or they address just by having probiotics and prebiotics. Um, but this one has the seaweed buffer, it has the prebiotics and probiotics, and it has the specific, um, in, like, the plasma in it that is very helpful for the small intestine and in helping prevent leaky gut. So... Omega Force and pro Procare are kind of the two feeds that I've had the most success with um, on barrel horses.
0: Yeah, so really quick, I want to ask a personal question that I have. So, what does plasma do for a horse? I have had my horses on the Stride Animal Health Lifeline Plus, uh, which is their like a plasma supplement. Um, and it is full of so much cool, good stuff that technology has found that Stride Animal Health has just cashed in on and it's really, really paid off. So I want you to elaborate a little bit more on that, please.
1: From a researcher or a scientific or a veterinary standpoint, everybody always wants to be like, well, what's the, what's the research? What's the data behind it? Well, plasma has over 500 published peer-reviewed scientific studies proving its benefit and its effectiveness within the body in a multitude of different areas. So um, the place that people, like, I think that most people are, are familiar with plasma when it's used as, um, like, an IV into fold if the mares didn't get, you know, if that fold didn't get colostrum within the first 24 hours, um, or if they need some kind of boost with their immunity, vets will come out and they'll IV and they'll hang a bag, bag of plasma. So that's one place that it's used that people are, are comfortable and familiar with it. Another place is, um, you know, like... Um, like IRAP therapy in horses or PRP, those um, different areas where you actually draw some of the horse's blood and spin it down, and then you take the plasma portion and re-inject it back into an injured site to try to um, help speed the healing process. Well, what, what Lifeline is is it's an oral plasma. So same, same plasma, it's just used in an oral form. And in that oral form, um, the research shows that the plasma can benefit um, the respiratory tract. It can benefit um, leaky gut situations. It can benefit, um, actually, it actually has benefits in the hindgut. Um, there was a study, uh, Texas A&M did a study that showed that it actually improves range of motion and stride length in joints. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so, I mean, it just, it, 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 it is a huge, um, what we call immune modulator. Okay, so it's not an immune stimulant, it's not an immune suppressant, we call it an immune modulator, which means it helps the body's immune system function at optimum efficiency or optimum capacity, meaning if it finds something it needs to attack, it does it quickly and then it gets back to normal. It doesn't stay in this high alert state all the time. It, it helps that body just be really responsive to invaders and and different um, inflammations that happen throughout what we call the common mucosal system, Okay. So I, it's, and, and I, in my, uh, in the feed room chemist, I did an episode that explains podcasts or explains plasma (laughs) in more detail. So if people want to listen to it, um, they can definitely get onto that episode. It it was one of the earlier ones. I think it was maybe like in the first five episodes or something of feed room chemist.
0: Cool. All right. Question number two, during competition season, when should I feed electrolytes to my horse?
1: They're basically, they are certain minerals. like sodium, potassium, chloride, they should be formulated into the diet 365 days a year, okay? And if your feed is balanced and correctly formulated, it will have electrolytes built into it. Now, there are certain times where you need to add additional electrolytes. And I do that during um, times of the year where the horse is sweating a lot. Um, If you live in a really hot climate, Um, whether it's dry heat or humid heat, either one, if that horse is just really overexerting themselves and sweating out a lot of those electrolytes, then what you're getting in the normal daily balanced diet is probably not going to be enough. So summer months are definitely the times that that I'll typically recommend an extra electrolyte. Electrolytes, because they do contain sodium and chloride, which is just salt, they will also kind of help a horse stimulate them to drink a little bit. But so the other the other thing that is important to understand is like the balance of those electrolytes. And, and so it's called a cation-anion balance. And basically that affects the metabolic pH of your horse. And so there are things that go a little bit more advanced than just the basic replace what is lost through the sweat. Like if you've got a horse that's prone to impaction colic, you can use electrolytes that are more of a metabolic pH balancer to help increase the amount of water that's retained within the digestive tract, which then reduces um, instances of impaction colic. Or, you know, that same metabolic pH balancer will also really stimulate horses to drink. So especially in cold months or times when the water is a little bit icy or cold, horses don't want to drink. And so that can also help stimulate them to drink. So yeah, there's, electrolytes in general should always be formulated into the feed. And then you should use electrolyte supplements during specific times where you need to replace what is being lost in excess through sweat or use a metabolic pH balancer version of electrolytes if you are uh, trying to address, you know, uh, impaction colics and getting that horse to really drink and all that kind of stuff
0: you know, that, that does make a lot of sense because the same thing goes for us as humans. If we're sitting around not doing much, we don't necessi- necessarily need to drink any Gatorade. But if we're out working out or out working in the heat or exercising, yeah, we're going to need to replenish all those electrolytes and drink a lot of water. And you, you can lose a lot through sweat. Exactly. Cool. All right. Last question. When hauling my horse in my trailer down the road, should I feed hay or could that be dangerous to their digestive system?
1: Again, when you put a horse into a little tin box that's on, sitting on top of wheels and you go cruising down the road at 70 miles an hour down the interstate, um, that's stressful to the horse. And like we talked earlier, anytime a horse is chewing, they're producing saliva and that saliva acts as a buffer to the stomach. So to me, allowing them that ability to munch on hay as they wish um, helps provide a buffer and helps provide a little bit of relaxation or stress relief that I think will pay dividends um, over time by preventing ulcers because for those of you who haven't done it i mean the 28-day treatment with omeprazole is not cheap right if you go get gastro or ulcer guard whatever and use
0: it it's not cheap and that is the credit card bill that you don't show your husband <laughs> exactly do not show that to your husband <laughs> so you know
1: offering a little bit of grass hay you know while they're on their or a little bit of hay whether it's alfalfa or grass it doesn't matter whatever they're used to eating Um, I, I offer a little bit now I don't give them a ton of it, but I do give them just a little bit that they can eat. And the reality is is most of the time, I mean, unless they're, unless I'm hauling like a really long way, I mean, I, so like, if I go back to, to see my folks, you know, I mean, that's a 13 hour trip. And so they're going to, I'm not going to haul my horses for 13 hours and not allow them to eat. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On the flip side, if I'm just making a trip into the vet and they're only going to be on the trailer for 30 minutes, I might, I'm probably not going to hang a bag of hay for them. But, you know, if I'm going on, you know, a two to four hour trip, you know, six hour trip or something, I mean, I'm definitely going to make sure that they've got a little
0: You know, that's something that I love that my horses eat on the road. (laughs) My horses have never not eaten their hay. They don't always want to eat their grain. Um, A lot of times what we'll do is we'll stop at a really safe, nice big truck stop Um, after we get gas, we'll pull over and we'll, you know, make sure that they can get a drink of water, um, make sure they have plenty of hay or alfalfa in their bags. Um, sometimes we'll even untie their heads because I usually keep their heads tied up. Some people don't, which teaches on, that's fine. Um, but it's nice to give them a break on the road. And so, yeah, I agree. Let's always make sure that our horses have something to nibble on because I know I like to have stuff to nibble on.
1: You know, a trick that I will share with you about tying horses up is if you loop some bailing twine around the tie hook and then tie to the bailing twine. That, mm-hmm. um, you know, if a horse gets into a serious jam, they can break that bailing twine um, and you don't, you know, end up with a lead rope Perfect. that's tied hard and fast to the, to the actual hook.
0: And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. So earlier this year, uh, that reminds me of a story. So back in August, my husband and I were driving to Oklahoma city for the BBR world finals And I'm just driving down the interstate, minding my own business. And all of a sudden, right past us goes this huge rodeo rig. And I said, what the hell do they have hanging off the side of their trailer? It's like little orange strings. He goes, it's bailing twine. They probably tie their horses up to it. So when they pull back, they don't break the horse's neck it breaks the twine. I'm like, mm, that's probably a good idea. I never even thought about doing that on the inside of the trailer, though. So that's why I keep my husband around. <laughs> I mean, he's always got good ideas like that, too. So thank you so much, Dr. Jimmy, for joining me today. I have learned so much in the past hour, and I know my listeners are going to get a lot out of this as well. Um, so if they wanted to contact you to learn how to get on the correct nutrition program for their horses, how can they contact you?
1: Yeah, so um, we offer free nutrition consults through Bluebonnet Feeds. So if you just go to bluebonnetfeeds.com um or also we do it through Stride Animal Health. Just go to strideanimalhealth.com. Um there's a resources tab on both of those websites and then a link that says nutrition consults. Um, so if you fill that information out, um, we have a team of consultants that um, will get you in contact with someone who's um, closest to you and uh They can, depending on your location, they may be able to come see you in person or we can do everything completely virtual. So Mm -hmm. whichever, whichever people prefer.
0: You guys, isn't Dr. Jimmy the best? I just love her. She's so full of knowledge. My brain is like mush right now. So feel free to listen to that podcast over and over because There's so much knowledge in there that a lot of times after you listen to it for at least two or three times, you catch a little something that you didn't catch previously. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast at because every time someone hits the subscribe button, I do a little happy dance. Please keep up the screenshots and sharing on Instagram and Facebook. I try to return the favor and say thank you and share it to my story as well. So those of you that haven't found us, I am now on Facebook, the Barrel Horse Live Podcast, and on Instagram, my handle is at the barrel horse life podcast. And for those of you that are still listening, and now that we're still six episodes deep, I feel like we have a good connection. So I want to tell you about one of my little Easter eggs that's at the very tail end of this podcast. That little girl that you hear, hey, horses, come get your snacks. That's my beautiful niece, Lily. She's seven years old and she is the light of my life. So she got the honor to have the closing to every podcast. So thank you so much for listening, you guys. I want to say have a happy, happy holidays and a Merry Christmas from my family to yours. Thanks so much for listening. God bless. Yoo-hoo, horsies, it's time for snacks! Ah!